This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District with your Extension Crop Report. Fall planting of alfalfa can begin nearly any time now, though it's always best to wait for favorable weather in the forecast and plant a little late if need be. Proper planting is paramount to its establishment success. Currently, there seems to be a renewed interest in alfalfa as cattle producers are looking for a high-protein forage that can be used in place of expensive feed. Many farmers will plant alfalfa in the spring, and that is a possibility, but planting in the fall has a variety of benefits. First off, weed pressure is much lower in the fall, and young alfalfa does not compete well with weeds. Fall germinating weeds are usually easier to kill with herbicides and don't have the incredible growth and herbicide resistance like some of the summer annuals do. Spring planted alfalfa also doesn't produce near as much yield as the year it was planted as the crop planted the fall before. One downside of fall planted alfalfa is we don't always get the rain needed for a good germination. Ideally, the alfalfa needs to be 3 to 4 trifoliate leaves before surviving the winter, which usually translates to having it planted sometime in September. It is very difficult to fix an acidic, low-nutrient, weedy alfalfa field in the season after planting. Alfalfa needs a soil pH between 6.5 to 7.5, and it does not tolerate acidic soil. Most fields in this area will need an application of lime fully incorporated before planting, likely with a heavy application of potash or dap or chicken litter. Remember that the field, if successful, won't be worked again for 3 to 5 years, so it has to be right to start with. When choosing an alfalfa variety, it's important to get the right kind, and it is one of the few times I'll suggest spending the money for a good one, largely because now there's a lot of variation in varieties, and it is a 3-5 to five year commitment. Besides glyphosate resistance, there's also a number of improvements that have been made recently, like resistant to aphids or some of the common fungal diseases. New low lignin varieties don't overall have lower lignin, like the name implies, so much as they don't get stimmy as fast allowing more flexibility for a later harvest. Like soybeans, alfalfa has a number system, and in southern Kansas, we use four to six rated varieties. The lower numbers, twos and threes, have a higher winter hardiness, but stay dormant longer in the spring and the fall, reducing the growing season length. Above seven, and there is a bigger risk of winter kill. Of course, don't forget to use rhizobium inoculated seed. Traditionally, alfalfa, like any small seed crop, needs a firm and smooth seedbed so the small seeds are planted at the right depth. However, it is possible to no-till them after row crops. There could be a window after corn harvest given the soil pH and fertility is adequate. One thing to check for is the herbicide carryover from the corn is compatible with alfalfa. It is also possible to get a stand from broadcast seeding followed by a soil packer, but this is somewhat unreliable and can mean for an uneven stand. However, I have seen it work with great success. This success largely depends on the weather. Another planting trick is to plant it with spring oats or millet as a nursery crop to keep the soil in place and to help with the crusting issues. If done right, alfalfa will be costly to establish, but an excellent growth will be well worth it. If you have any questions about getting your alfalfa started, please give me a call at 620-724-8233. This has been James Coover with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District. Hi, this is Wendy Powell, your Wildcat District Livestock Production Agent. Weaning is a stressful time for calves, cows, and people, and very likely the most stressful time in a calf's life. We know the calf will have all it needs to survive, but the calf doesn't know that yet. 
two methods have rose to the top of the list for best weaning strategies to reduce stress, fence line weaning and two-stage weaning. Fence line weaning separates cows and calves by a fence line in a familiar pasture for several days before removing cows from the area. Fence line weaned calves will still walk the fence for the first couple of days, but not nearly as much as traditionally weaned calves. Consider fencing cows in a smaller area with supplemental feed and leaving the calves in the bulk of the pasture. In some cases, corrals have been used to hold cows. If cows and calves are already trained to an electric fence, a single hot wire with three strands of barbed wire may work fine. Calves should be familiar with the pasture and water source before weaning. Two-stage weaning uses an anti-suckling device for three to seven days before actually separating the pair. Walking and vocalization are particularly reduced with two-stage weaning, making it possibly the least stressful method. Some calves learn how to flip the device up so they can still nurse. One study using an adjustable nose clip found these calves eating less and spent more time idle than fence line or traditionally weaned calves. The authors of the study suspected that there may be more discomfort with this particular device as this idleness was not reported in similar studies. Devices can be reused, but they have to be disinfected between uses. The two-stage strategy calls for at least one more handling to apply the device. Ask yourself, is setting up for fence line weaning or applying and removing the devices at a planned time better than treating sick calves on their schedule? Both methods reduce signs of behavioral stress as compared to traditionally weaned calves. And research shows that fence line weaned calves outgain traditionally weaned calves as far as 10 weeks after weaning. Gains from two-stage weaned calves are apparent for the first two to three weeks. There are other management practices that will help calves be prepared for weaning. They can respond to disease challenge by having appropriate mineral nutrition and undergoing a vaccination program before weaning. Teach calves to eat by providing a creep feeder a month before weaning. And make sure pens and waterers are clean and in good repair. You should evaluate pen size and bunk placement so that stopping and eating is easier to do than walking the fence. Weaning as a general topic, as an animal welfare issue, is a sign of the time we're living in and gives us cause for reflection. These methods won't fit all operations, but what might not seem possible at first glance may still be accomplished. For more information on weaning strategies, give me a call at the Labette County Extension Office, 620-784-5337. Thanks, Wendy. And now, here's David Scrantz, Natural Resource and Diversified Ag Agent, with her report. This is a David Scrantz, one of the Agriculture and Natural Resource Agents from the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, Labette, Montgomery, and Wilson Counties with your K-State Research and Extension report. If you are considering planting a winter food plot, Knowing the nutrient levels of the soil before planting will help you determine if you need to add fertilizer to the soil. Correct soil sampling in the field is essential for an accurate soil test and consequently for an optimum nutrient management program. To obtain a proper soil sample, there are a few guidelines to follow. 
Start with the right equipment. You will need a soil probe, a clean bucket, and a few plastic bags or soil sample bags. The extension offices have soil probes that you can borrow to collect your soil sample. Map it out. Draw a map of the sample area and divide it into uniform areas. Each area should have the same soil texture, color, slope, and fertilization and cropping history. Start sampling. For the standard pH, buffer pH, P, and K test, sample 6 inches deep and take 10 to 15 core samples from each area. Moving in a zigzag across the area will help to get a more representative sample. Mix thoroughly in the clean bucket. Fill your soil collection bags from this mixture, making sure that there are about two cups of soil in each bag. For available nitrogen, chloride, or sulfur tests, take the same number of cores, but a subsoil sample to a depth of 24 inches is necessary. It is also important to note that if a zinc test is requested, use a plastic bucket for soil collection as galvanized or rubber materials may contaminate the results. Places to avoid. Avoid taking samples from old fence rows, dead furrows, low spots, feeding areas, or other areas that might give unusual results. If information is desired from these unusual areas, obtain a separate sample from that area. Label. Be sure to label the soil container clearly. Record the sample identification on the container and the information sheet. Keep records as to where the soil samples were taken and the name that was given for each sample. Send samples. Once all the soil is collected from these desired areas, take the samples to your local K-State Research and Extension Office. We will then send the samples to the K-State Soil Testing Laboratory to be analyzed. Generally, you can expect results back within two weeks. Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report. With K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District, this is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Hort Report. Fall is almost here, which means it's time to plant trees. Fall is actually the best time to plant trees because the soil is still warm from the summer, which encourages root growth and establishment. There are 10 rules to follow when planting tree transplants. The first and most important rule is to select the right tree for your site. It is especially important to look up and consider how tall and wide the tree will get once mature to ensure that it doesn't grow into any power lines or your house. Some catalogs and nurseries may have dwarf varieties of trees, but this does not always mean that the tree will remain small. Dwarf pecans still grow to 30 feet tall, but are listed as dwarf trees because this is about half the size of a traditional pecan tree. To get a better idea of how big your dwarf tree will grow, always compare it against a traditional sized tree of the same species. It's also important to select a tree that will thrive in the amount of sun it will get where you plant it. If planted under taller trees like oaks, your choices for trees will be more limited. Most trees require full sun while actively growing. If you cannot avoid planting in partial or full shade, look for trees that grow as understory trees in the wild. These trees typically grow under other taller trees and include redbuds, pawpaws, hornbeams, service berries, and maples. When preparing the tree for planting, remove all wires, cords, and anything else tied to the plant. 
Leaving these materials on the tree has the potential to girdle the tree as it grows. Remove all containers from the root ball. Some ball and burlap trees will also have a wire container around the root ball. Remove this if you can do so without disturbing the root ball. However, research has shown that there is no considerable difference between trees that have had their cages removed and those that haven't. If there is a time lag between when you receive the tree and when you will plant it, keep the tree well watered and in the shade. Move the tree by picking up the root ball and not the trunk. Preparing the hole correctly will prevent future problems for your tree. Holes should be dug only as deep as the tree will sit, or possibly a little shallower to allow for settling. There is a point at the base of the trunk where the tree suddenly gets wider. This is called the root flare and is where the trunk transitions into root growth. The hole you dig for the tree should never be deep enough to bury the root flare. If buried, the roots could accidentally encircle the base of the tree while coming to the surface for oxygen and could strangle the tree to death. Dig the hole three times as wide as the root ball to allow roots to grow outward faster. Once planted, water the tree thoroughly and then once a week for the first growing season. You should not add any amendments to the hole such as sand or peat moss because these can cause moisture drainage issues and might accidentally drown the tree. The only thing that should be added to the hole once the tree is in is the soil that was removed. For more information on today's topic, contact your local extension office. I can be reached at 620-724-8233 or by email at jr637 at ksu.edu. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Hort Report. Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.